This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part by Organic Hair Care. Hello and welcome to Dana Being Dana. I'm Dana Michelle and I'm thrilled you're with us. My show is about all different aspects of the human connection, things that bring us together and living life intentionally. In the United States alone, every 60 seconds, 20 people are victims of domestic abuse. That means 300 people will be abused during this episode. Domestic abuse is a prevalent topic that we do not talk about enough. Joining me today are DuPage County State's Attorney, Robert Berlin, Devana Thompson-Judd, my courageous friend who has experienced domestic violence, and Norma Peterson, Executive Director of Document the Abuse. Norma is also the sister-in-law of Drew Peterson, a former Bolingbrook police sergeant and convicted murderer of his third wife, Kathleen Savio. His fourth wife, Stacy Ann Kales Peterson, is missing and has never been found. She was 23 years old when she disappeared on October 28, 2007. This month, she would be 37 years old. Devana, thank you for being here. Thank you. You have had experience with domestic violence. You said you knew something was very wrong the minute the door shut when you moved in with your ex. What type of abuse did you experience? Emotional, mental, verbal, and physical. The physical went on um, from the, almost immediately from moving in till the moment I got out. So it was a process over time. Over time. Um, tearing you down. Yes. Um, and, and saying things to you that were... Um, it starts with um, the emotional abuse, the silent treatments when you don't respond, or the verbal assaults when you don't do what they're supposed to do. Um, and then it works slowly into the physical abuse. And once they have control, they know um, that they can manipulate and get the situation where you can't get out, it gets worse. Mm-hmm. Kathleen Savio didn't get out. Stacy disappeared and has never been found. How did you get out of that situation? Um, God and um, a friend. I opened up to the right person and they gave me a way out, a way to escape. Um, because when you do anything against an abuser, you have repercussions. So unless you can make a clean escape, you're going to go back because you don't want, you can't, whether it's animals, kids, um, family, friends, they will use whatever leverage they can to hurt you. So um, there's always repercussions when you don't do what the abuser wants you to do. So for me, I was able to make a clean break by this friend. Mm. Norma, on average, how many instances of abuse does it take before a victim attempts to leave or escapes? So what it is, is it's seven to nine times on the average for an abuse victim to escape. A lot of people use the word leave, and leave isn't necessarily what people are doing. Leave is when you can voluntarily walk out the door. What abuse victims are doing is they're escaping. Mm. And so you have to have a plan in order to successfully escape. And unfortunately, neither Kathleen nor Stacy had a plan in place. Mm. Bob, how common are these types of cases that you prosecute? Unfortunately, every year in DuPage County, we have over 1,500 cases of domestic violence. Wow. Last year, over 1,600 cases. Um, and unfortunately, most of our homicides are domestic related in the county. So it's a problem uh, that we've been dealing with for years. And even with those numbers, there are still people, mostly women, who are afraid to file. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we absolutely, because there's always repercussions. 
it's hard to get away. It's just hard to get out. Are people also afraid that the system you know, will fail them or, or not work? Oh, well, for sure. Yeah, and, and part of it is that they're afraid the offender is going to get out and mm-hmm. come back home. Um, and one of the biggest challenges we face in these cases is victims not showing up in court. They'll give a statement to the police when it initially happens, uh, then the offender gets arrested, they get out on bond, and then by the time the case comes to trial, they're back together again, they don't want to show up. They don't want to show up. And that cycle of violence just continues. And continues and continues. Norma, tell us more about your experience when your sister-in-law Kathleen died and when your sister-in-law Stacy went missing. A lot of what happened with Kathleen, we as a family were not aware of because Drew and Kathleen were going through a divorce. So at that time, she really wasn't spending any time with the side of the family. So we were very unaware of the instances of violence that were going on there. And when Drew would come back, he would put them in a totally different context, making it seem as though it were her. So he was definitely gaslighting the whole situation. Mm-hmm. With Stacy, we were starting to see some of the signs of abuse. And I had seen a couple of bruises. I had noticed mm-hmm. some behaviors and had questioned them but it's difficult because she did not want to expose us to danger. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens a lot with abuse victims is they are in a position where if they tell anybody, you are now putting that person in danger because now someone else knows. And that's what had happened with Stacy. And I think what's so interesting, Norma, your sister-in-law, Kathleen Savio, she died in 2004. Prior to this, the police had been called to their home 18 times on domestic disturbance calls, similar to what Bob was saying earlier about how there's a cycle that continues and, and that repeats. Um, Stacy told her pastor that Drew had killed Kathleen and that he had abused her. What is the evidentiary abuse affidavit um, and, and how is it empowering victims to tell their story? So coming from all the facts that came forward when Stacy went missing and Kathleen's case went to trial, and we saw all the things that were going on. There was a domestic violence awareness advocate by the name of Susan Murphy Milano, mm. who wrote a book called Time's Up. How appropriate. Right. And in it was the EAA in a written format. When Kathleen's case came forward and Neil worked with Susan, what they figured out was that they could add a video part to this to make it even more powerful. And Neil's Stacy's pastor, correct, who she confided in right. about her abuse, correct. And what was missing from that situation was the fact that it was, wasn't documented, right? There was no evidence right. to, to present for these facts. And, and how so does that present the evidence? Present a challenge. Yes. Well, it it it's hearsay evidence, right? So it's it's um, uh, it's difficult to get that evidence in the court. Yep. Uh, although. Uh, it has been done before. It was actually done in the, in the Kathleen Sabio prosecution yes. uh, of Drew Peterson under the forfeiture by wrongdoing doctrine. Can you explain that in a little bit more? Sure. What, what, it's, a, it's a common law doctrine that goes back to the 1800s. And, and in essence, what it is, is you, the defendant, cannot complain that testimony is hearsay when you are the person that caused the victim not to show up in court uh, by killing her. Right. Uh, and if we can prove by preponderance of the evidence uh, that the defendant is responsible for the victim's death, then those hearsay statements will come in as substantive evidence. And they're admissible. And having it in the context of an affidavit 
now just makes it that much easier for the judicial system then to be able to put these statements in. That forfeiture by wrongdoing was instrumental in getting uh, Kathleen's justice mm. is because they were able to do that. But with the affidavit, we're now taking that and eliminating that part of it because now it is an affidavit. So, so now we can and it has all the evidence. So instead of it being hearsay, it is the victim's actual words, statements, evidence, anything that helps to validate or corroborate that. And now we are giving state's attorneys such as Bob and, and anyone else now that much more to go with when they go to prosecute these types of things. They've got that evidence. Right. So in short, um, they're able to utilize the EAA, right. Evidentiary Abuse Affidavit, to collect all of this data. Right, so you can upload hospital reports. Kathleen had 18 police reports. She had, you know, gone to the hospital a couple of times. She had statements that she made. Now imagine if you were able to put all of that in the context and add video format to that, which is what the EAA does. You can is, do video. You can do video. So imagine how powerful that would have been had they been able to walk not only her statements in, but her actually saying these things that had happened to her. Her voice. In her own voice. Documenting. Saying this was what was going on with me. Here's my photos. Here's my reports. Here's everything that substantiates everything I am telling you. And to be able to bring that victim's voice forth. Yes. Is just, I mean. It's incredibly powerful. It is. It's very powerful. It's incredibly powerful. And so you're able to document that over time, the cycle that Bob was talking about earlier. Devana, how long was your abuse? Three years. Three years. So over the course of those years, um, a victim can access Correct. The With a username and a password, Yep. you can update it as often as you want. And what it is, is it's kind of like a digital diary. It's a way for victims to have a to safe be place. able to go with, you know, anywhere that's got internet. You can go to your church, your best friend's house, the library, anywhere. So instead of it being an app that can be found or, you know, shows up on a statement somewhere, now you don't have to worry about that. It is free to victims to use in the capacity because we didn't want there to be any financial obstacles. Everybody should have access to this, and they do. I think what Document the Abuse is doing is fantastic. What's your reaction, Bob, to, to what Document the Abuse is doing, and how can the evidentiary abuse affidavit impact your prosecu prosecution work? Well, I think it's a great idea because it will help give us evidence that we need in a lot of these cases. And, you know, we want to hold offenders accountable, especially when they've done something violent. Uh, and unfortunately, you have to be able to convince victims to document this, understanding uh, that one of the reasons they're doing it is in the event something really violent occurs. Right. Um, and a, a lot of victims don't want to accept that that might happen. But it's very powerful evidence. It's very powerful. Many people, especially women, are afraid to file because they often feel like, the police and law enforcement systems are not as helpful as they can be. How do constitutional rights play into this situation, um, of particularly of the offenders, and how are they protected based on constitutional rights? So look, every, every uh, person who's arrested has a Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. Uh, then they have a Sixth Amendment right to counsel. Uh, but in every criminal court across this country, the state's burden of proof is beyond a reasonable doubt. 
And it's a difficult burden in a lot of cases to meet. And I think one of the problems that you're talking about is uh, vi victims don't have uh, a lot of confidence that the right outcome is going to occur. And then even if it does, that uh, this person's you know, not going to go to jail or prison, that they're going to be back out uh, where they can reoffend. Right. How have the laws changed uh, within the last two decades or so to help women and also men who can be victims of domestic violence as well um, in these situations? Well, I know with the uh, Violence Against Women Act that is, uh, I believe, was just reauthorized, if I am correct. They have added some more, um, some more power to it because that's what's going on is that a lot of times victims don't feel like I can go forward with what's going to happen to me mm -hmm. because like you said, there's mm -hmm. repercussions. repercussions. So mm -hmm. if I decide I'm gonna go and do something about this, now I am going to wind up uh, hurting, you know, in some form or fashion because of it. And that's where, again, going back to it being a digital diary, if I don't feel comfortable telling anybody else, at least I can put it out. And mm -hmm. sometimes that helps me in seeing where this is progressing to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're still hoping that, you know, they're still gonna keep adding to that uh, VAWA, the Violence Against Women Act, and it's not just women. We're seeing an upswing in men being abused. So it is a very, um, unfortunately, regardless of gender, socioeconomic status, mm -hmm. in whatever regard, you know, that someone can be abused, they will. You know, I think the police have gotten a lot better in investigating these cases, too. Anytime there's an injury, they're going to make an arrest. They have been trained to get a uh, written or a taped or videotaped statement from the victim so that we can use that uh, it, as evidence mm -hmm. if the testimony changes to make our cases a lot stronger. And we've actually created a training video in DuPage County through our Family Violence Coordinating Council uh, which has been distributed to all police officers throughout DuPage County uh, to help them recognize some of the signs of domestic violence and improve their investigation in these cases. I think one thing that you said is really important. When there's an injury, they make an arrest. Yes. Because I think that that takes the burden off of the victim. I think, and maybe this is TV, but, it, but historically in times people would say, well, do you want to press charges, you know, and put the Put the onus if, right. on the victim, um, but if there's evidence of injury, um, and obviously it's got to be one that they can identify, yes. but but they are going to be arrested. Um, and I think that's a very important point. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back. We're going to be talking about domestic violence and stalker awareness on Dana Being Dana. Don't go away. At Organic Hair Care, we bring together science and nature to make green beauty care for the whole family. You'll see and feel the difference with our vegan and organic certified hair and personal care products. Visit our website for our selection of luxury care you can afford. In Naperville, we know that community counts. In fact, it's in our name. As Naperville Community Television, 
we have the privilege of showcasing what makes this award-winning city a wonderful place to raise a family, to make a living, and to enjoy life's journey. That's why it's our mission to capture on camera those special moments that connect us. Those stories that impact our lives. Stories you won't see anywhere else. So watch Naperville Community Television on air, online, and on social media. Welcome back to Dana Being Dana, where we are talking about stalker awareness and domestic violence awareness. I want to go back to document the abuse and the evidentiary abuse affidavit. How does one get started by creating their own digital diary to record and document their abuse? So if you go on the website, document the abuse, we do have explanations as to who we are, how we got started. And on there is a tab that has the evidentiary abuse affidavit on it. We strongly recommend that victims read through this and take the time to fill one of these out. It is as simple as just with a username and a password, you can get on there. Wherever you have internet, you can get to it. So instead of there being an app that may be found on your phone or something you have to pay for, we didn't want there to be any impediments to victims being able to access this resource. So you just go on there, you read through it. It will walk you through everything that you need to know beforehand. You know, it's going to take some time to fill out, but this is the time that you are investing in your life, yeah. in your safety. Can you save safety. it and go back? Yes. And so as continues. many times. So as we know, it takes seven to nine times. Usually there's an escalation in the violence as this is going along. So if you go on there and let's say it's the first or second time you're just writing these things out, that fourth time you can go on there, that fifth time you can go on there and start writing these things out and continue to do so and it will save it for you. Yeah. And that victim is the only one that sees this. Yeah. It's never opened, it's never accessed by anyone but the victim unless you are not here to speak on your, your own behalf. behalf. Then if there is a, a subpoena from a law enforcement agency or a judicial system, then we can discuss whether these things get brought forth. But other than that, there is no, there's no reason for victims not to feel safe, safe in filling these out. So you can upload pictures? Photos. Video? Yes, email correspondence, text wow. messages, so you can take screen grabs any and everything that you have available to you. And then to be able to speak these very things that you have in there and say, this is what was happening to me. This is what is happening to me. Wow. And I don't feel comfortable telling anyone else yeah. because a lot of times there's shame and blame. Shame and blame. Shame and blame. Absolutely. So huge. How would this have impacted your situation, Devana? I would have had a safe place to document and it would have given me a place to record the police um, report numbers because when they come out to your house, they don't have information from the last time. And you it's don't have any reports. You can't keep it. Yeah. I couldn't keep mine. I mean, you couldn't keep it. I couldn't keep it. But you could have kept but it. I could have kept with it. Document the abuse. And when you're in survival mode, a lot of the abuse blends. So this would have gave me a spot right. to be able to document the abuse 
as it was happening. So I wouldn't have two days or four days later try to figure out what had happened. It's not, I just go there, I tell them what happened, and it's not all blending. I can look back to, oh my goodness, that wasn't yesterday, that was two weeks ago, and look how bad, or it's a safe place with no judgment. It would have been huge, because nobody knew. I don't even talk about it now. Yeah. So yeah. that would have been a huge way for me, not only to see, but to discuss. And then when I had to go get the order of protection, just pull out, because you have to doc, you know, they ask what abuse happened. You just pull this out. Yeah. And the blending is important because I think many times people Trauma. don't realize how much abuse happens over time. Yes. How much abuse happens over time. And I think there's something empowering and confidence building. You grow stronger by telling your story. Yeah. You grow stronger by telling your story. Yeah. And so I think that it can help and it could help in so many ways. Um, from a prosecution standpoint, Bob, how, how would the evidentiary abuse affidavit impact with all of these statements and, and what would you do um, when, when a victim um, puts all this forward and say they go missing, how would your office respond you know, in working with the evidentiary abuse affidavit? Well, it gives a great place for investigators to start. Yes. And all of the evidence is right there. So right. they don't have to spend days and weeks tracking leads down when they have a detailed summary of everything that happened, yeah. including dates and times. Then they can look for corroboration. They save all that time. It's, it's, it's a tremendous, tremendous idea, and it will help us immensely in these People cases. could leave phone numbers, contact mm -hmm. these people. These are the people who mm -hmm. were there. These they, are the people who right. saw. This yes. was the address. Yes. This is the police report number. Yes. This is the information. That could, that could be incredible very, for, for the prosecution. Very powerful for us. Mm. It, would, it yeah. would make our jobs a lot easier. Yeah. And these cases are difficult to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of your jobs, um, what needs to change in our legal system to better address this area of the law? Well, I think um, we've come a long way in terms of constitutional rights for victims. We, yes. Crime victims have constitutional rights now. That's true. Uh, a lot of it's training. And I think, you know, in DuPage County, we've been ahead of the curve training police officers how to investigate these cases. But I think the biggest issue is victims have to have faith in the system. They need to have faith in the police, faith in us that we're going to do the right thing. Uh, because otherwise these cases fall apart and they don't show up in court and then that cycle continues. And the way to break the cycle is through prosecution and holding these offenders accountable. I think enhancing prosecution and I think we're in a time in a place now, perhaps with some of the social movements that we've had, Me Too, Time's Up, mm -hmm. uh, where we're speaking out about it and it's not okay. We don't believe that you just fell down the stairs anymore, mm -hmm. right? right? We're asking questions um, you know, we're, we're bringing things to the attention of the people who need to hear it. People are speaking up, I think, now more so than ever. The red um, flags are, are being recognized mm -hmm, for what they mm -hmm. are, you know, and in, in what I'd like to see is more focus on high schools and colleges yes. where you're just starting out. You don't have those types of experiences. Or if you come from a background where this was normal life, you don't know any different. So if we can, just like we do with driver's ed, we tell people, okay, so if you see a yellow light, you know to slow down because there is a dangerous situation up ahead. Absolutely. If you see a red light, you know that this is not necessarily a good situation for you to be in. We need to do a better job 
getting to these younger people to teach them these are yellow flags, these are red flags. When you see them, proceed with caution. That Absolutely. could, you know, definitely impact your life. Yeah. And we need to do a better job there. And we also need to do, I believe, a better job in terms of holding offenders accountable because so much of, like you said, the onus is on the victim. They have to go to court. They have to file. They mm -hmm. have to do this. They Very have to so. do that. And all the offender has to do is come to court. So, I mean, that's kind of, um, it, there needs to be a better balance between Agreed. what the offender needs to do and what the victim needs to do. I mean, there has been a lot of, of you know, progress forward. But what I'd like to see is more onus on the offender to have to either go through a class or well, to have to do things. Agreed. Because I think they're oftentimes dealing with issues that they have not addressed. Right. Many mm -hmm. times hurt people hurt people. I want to talk about women um, or, or young girls, for example, who tend to be the most vulnerable. Uh, women are most vulnerable at the onset of puberty. And if those girls are not poured into, if they're not affirmed um, or empowered, they often become more susceptible to engaging and staying in unhealthy relationships that lead to domestic violence situations. How can we better empower um, young girls? Make sure they know that they are special and don't let, they need to not ever doubt themselves. Yep. They are special and don't let anybody ever treat you as you're common. Yes. You are not common. They are not common. So I think for, especially young women and teenage girls, well, all the guys, all the boys or all the young men, you know, are possessive or jealous or mm -hmm. yell, but you're not, yeah. you're not common. They can, that, you are special. They need to know they're special and never let anybody treat them other than, other than I, they're perfect. There's a, a Stacy watching, there's a Kathleen watching. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for somebody who is watching this episode who is a victim of domestic abuse? Start trying to make an exit plan. You feel stuck, you're not. Just start baby steps, but start thinking of an exit plan. Bob? The victims need to know that we're there to help, that so many people are there to help and not be afraid to use the legal system. Uh, we give victims Cadillac treatment, and we're going to do everything we can to protect them. Yes. And Norma? Well, for me, I just want victims to know that they don't have to go through this by themselves, that there is a way that you can talk about it, even if you can't talk to someone else, by going to the EAA. And it is an investment in your safety and in your life. There are so many people that, you know, love these victims. And to think that they're going through this alone would break our hearts. It broke my heart to know that Kathleen went through all these things by herself mm -hmm. or that she felt that she was alone. Yeah. I don't want victims to feel as though they're alone. Yes. You are not. Yes. The evidentiary abuse affidavit and document the abuse are there for you and it's there for you to use. I'm it so can glad. make a difference. I'm so glad you all are doing what you're doing. One in every six women and one out of every 19 men in the U.S. have been stalked in their lifetime. Many times it is someone the victim knows. Domestic violence is the leading cause of injury to women, more than car accidents, muggings, and rapes combined. Every year, one in three women who is a victim of homicide is murdered by her current or former partner. 
We must turn these conversations into action. If you see something, say something. Document the abuse because it has to stop. Thank you to my guests for joining me and for the courageous battles that you fight in this space. Special thanks to Organic Hair Care for bringing awareness to this very important topic. Hopefully you've been entertained, if not encouraged or inspired. I do not promise to be an expert, nor do I have all the answers. I am just Dana being Dana. See you next time. This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part by Organic Hair Care.